Hello and welcome to the final Copper Libertadores podcast on the World Football Index. Well, the final one for this year anyway. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, based in Chile. Joining me today is uh, Simon Edwards, who is usually based in Colombia, but tonight is also in Chile, I believe, and albeit a couple of thousand kilometres south of me. How are you, Simon? I hear you've only been in Chile a couple of days and you have already found someone who reckons I talk rubbish. Uh, yeah, my, my taxi driver has set me straight and uh, you can completely discredit anything Adam says. Chilean football is in a perfect health. Uh, the Chilean club is going to win everything. Everything's going to be fine as soon as Colo Colo get the title back. And they've got a load of kids who are incredible. Uh, there's at least seven new Alexis Sanchez's. So no worries for Chilean football. Everything's looking good, according to my Uber driver. Uh, so, yeah, everything's looking positive. Adam. Why are you so pessimistic? Oh, oh, they must be hiding in the shadow somewhere because <laughs> I certainly haven't seen all these new Alexis Sanchez's anywhere. Anyway, also joining us today are the guys from the popular Scouting Spotlight series on this network. So, first of all, we've got Austin in... Um, where, where are you this evening? Is it in the town of Chicago or somewhere else? That is exactly where I'm at. We are ticking towards the holiday season we're speeding towards the brief interlude between years in South American football as well. So looking at three weeks of not having to watch some really bad Brazilian football for a little bit, it's just long enough to kind of make you miss it. So so that's really nice. But yes, in Chicago and doing quite well. And Adam, it's our last Libertadores podcast for this year. But come on, man, before we know it, we're going to be running this thing back for next year because it feels like the 2018 competition is, is going to start before we even know it, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Already looking forward to it. Maybe a Chilean side might actually get to knockout stages. According to Simon's taxi drivers, no doubt about it. So looking forward to that already. Also joining us tonight is uh, Tom Robinson. I threatened him the other day that he could get dropped from the squad. And suddenly he's made himself available for selection again. Miraculously. So, Tom, how, how are you? And where are you tonight as well? I'm uh, actually in Cambridge at the moment. Uh, one of the places where football is actually invented. So, you know, very fitting that I should be on. And I've got that kick up my backside now to up my performances and uh, try and get out of the uh, the reserves, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're always welcome on this pod, mate. I know that it's difficult um, to get on it with the... Uh, with the time constraints. Anyway, let's get into this pod and let's review the Copper Libid Stories final. Um, we've just watched the second leg. Um, we're recording this pod on the on the same night that Gremio sealed a 3-1 aggregate victory um, to claim their third Copper Libid Stories title. So after 156 matches and 426 goals, we finally have a winner of this great competition. I have to say, well, I was wrong in the fact that I didn't think that a Brazilian side would would win it this year, but certainly the best Brazilian side won it, and the best side in this competition this year, there's no doubt about that. So yeah, credit to Gremio, they very much deserved this triumph, and really they've stopped years of disappointment, and possibly you could even say embarrassment in this competition for for Brazilian sides. but yeah, there were some real star performances tonight. Uh, Luan, Grolli and Goal. And, oh. and they've also been amongst the standout performers for Remio in this competition this year. So, Austin, I'll come to you first. Um, so you can talk at length about this triumph that you dreamed of for Palmeiras. But in the end, it was another Brazilian team that did that. But I believe you have a soft spot for Gremio, So you must be pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, this was... A deserved title for Gremio. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. Um, when you look at what they did in the knockout stages, they took a pretty good punch from Godoy Cruz and, and hung on. Their quarterfinal against Botafogo was incredibly tight. Gremio were really banged up in that tie, and they just kind of forced their way through with a goal in the in the second leg. And then in the semifinals, you know, the Barcelona team that had already slayed two Brazilian sides. Gremio went to Guayaquil and hung three on Barcelona to really kind of cement the, themselves in their performance. That was really convincing. And I thought in the final, you know, it was, you don't want to say it was never really in doubt for Gremio because I think that certainly makes it sound like it was easier than it was. But they were assuredly the better sides over the two, the better side over the two legs. And especially tonight away on the road, um, they looked composed and calm and, and assured of themselves on the ball 
They took advantage of those Lanus mistakes, and Lanus just didn't look like that. In the first leg, uh, this played out a lot like the first leg Lanus played in the semifinal with River Plate. Tight, not a lot of chances. Balls just kind of stuck in the midfield going side to side, hard fought. Lanus basically said, hey, we're going to come into this and we're going to try to get out of it without conceding. And much like in the semifinal, they conceded a very late goal. For Gremio, it was Cicero off of a knockdown from the substitute Jael. That was a key goal for Gremio. And then we had a moment of controversy at the end of that first leg when it looked as though Gremio were denied a pretty clear-cut penalty. And for whatever reason, the official in that match, despite having the VAR at his disposal, elected not to use it. So we went through the entirety of the final without the VAR being used, uh, which I'm not generally going to complain about because I'm not a fan of the system. But that certainly felt like if you have the system in that point, he probably should have used it. But he didn't, and thankfully it didn't end up costing Gremio. Tonight, yeah, like I said, I thought Gremio were composed, they were clinical, and they really took advantage of of the mistakes that Lanus made. Lanus really looked like a team that hadn't won the Copa Libertadores before and was really feeling the pressure of being in the final. Um, Gremio had a couple of chances early. They didn't have a ton of possession, but when they did have it, they were dangerous. And then the 27th minute disaster struck for Lanús. Their right back, uh, Jorge Luis Gomez, misplayed a ball with his right foot. It kind of popped up into the air and it spun in for Fernandinho right at the midway line. And he was behind the last defender. And credit to Fernandinho, who took a couple of really nice touches to stay behind the defense and then perfectly kind of wait the ball out in front of him for him to run on. And then he just slammed it past Andrada with a really good finish. So often you see guys who check out their runs and, and try to wait for help in that situation, or they get in behind and they try to pick their spot out and they miss wide, or they just hit it too hard and they blast over. And that's not what happened for Fernandinho. He, he really left no doubts about it, put it right in the back of the net. That extended the aggregate lead to 2-0. And then right before halftime, Gremio struck again, Luan, one of the players of this tournament uh, certainly staked his claim as as one of, if not the best player in South America tonight. Got behind the Lanús defense, and then I don't really know what happened with the two Lanús center backs, but they parted like the Red Sea. Luan just kind of jogged through them and then was one-on-one with Andrada and, and had a cheeky little chip to finish that. That put the aggregate out to 3-0. That was the deficit that Lanús actually came back from against River Plate in the semifinal, but they had no such luck tonight. They really were not the same side that did come back against River. Pepe Sand ended up winning the Golden Boot for this competition with nine goals. He got the ninth on a penalty in the 72nd minute to give Lanús a glimmer of hope. Very clear-cut penalty. Jailson pulled back the Lanús attacker. Uh, Pepe Sand finished calmly. But beyond that, Linus didn't really create all that much. They had one chance in the first half right after Fernandinho scored that Marcelo Groe, who, uh, as we'll get to this in a bit, assuredly is my goalkeeper of the competition and is also a player that I think should be in the Brazil squad for the World Cup. The form that he's on right now, he was absolutely brilliant all competition. Um, the save he made against Barcelona in Guayaquil, one of the best I've ever seen. Had a really good save in the first leg against Lanús and then a really good save here tonight to deny a free kick opportunity. He was brilliant and just really helped anchor that back line for Gremio. In front of him, Pedro Jadomel, another player that I would not be shocked to see in the Brazil squad for the World Cup. It's going to be really tough because Cheech is only going to take four center backs, and I don't know that Jeremel will get in it, but I think he's deserving. He was really, really good tonight. Shut down every single Lanús attack was very calm, composed, poised on the ball. So this is a really good Gremio side, and I think they are, they are definitely deserved champions of this competition. Tom, tonight we saw a really nervy performance from Lanús. Um, and as Austin briefly mentioned, you know, it really looked like the occasion got to them, no? Yeah, I mean, it was their first ever Copa Libertadores final, so you can kind of see that as maybe one of the reasons why they weren't maybe at their sort of hard to be best but you know they have done well in in recent times they they won the Copa Sudamericana in 2013 and they won the league title 
um, last year as well with you know with a lot of the uh, same players so I was a little bit surprised that they weren't kind of more at it tonight because the home leg they've, they've been very good at home in general and the way they turned around deficits against San Lorenzo in the quarterfinals and and spectacularly against River in the semis I kind of thought yeah you know they'll fancy their chances um, but as Austin said they came up against a really good Gremio side even though they were missing uh, Kahneman um, at the back there yeah they just didn't didn't seem like they were properly clicking maybe they just run out a bit of pace um i know they've been sort of fielding a reserve side in the league and maybe they've just kind of lost that momentum a little bit but at the end of the day i think they would have expected to probably just come up short against a great and deserved champion so i think they're they sort of take it take it on the chin and and just sort of see it as another step in in their development as a club you know who, who sort of 25 30 years ago were in the third flight of Argentinian football so the, the you know they're very well run they're they're always there or thereabouts in the league and um yeah you know they'll they'll hope to grow on this yeah I, I, th- I think the majority of their real fans in the stadium kind of stayed behind a little bit after the game and showed their appreciation which was nice to see and maybe a quick word for Pepe Sand as well on, on winning that golden boot an incredible achievement at, at his age now yeah fantastic I mean Nine goals, I think that's as many as all the Libertadores goals he'd scored in the last four attempts. So that, that was pretty impressive. And this year he passed the 100 goal mark for, for Lanús as well. I think he's their third top scorer of all time now. And yeah, he's he's had a fantastic sort of uh, Indian summer to his career. He's like, what, 36, 37? But he's, you know, he's very difficult to handle in the box. He doesn't move much, but... You know he'll he'll tuck away those chances and and he was key to their run really um you know with the the wide Acosta and Silva in that four three three that they always play um you know in the, those away games they'd kind of drop back and make it more of a four five one um where Sand would be a bit more isolated but it'd still you know rough up the defenders and yeah you know another player I think deserves a lot of credit is uh, Marcone as well the number five um he was great at sort of receiving the ball under pressure and and getting that passing out from the back going so yeah um maybe maybe they wouldn't they would have been standing a better chance if they'd had some of their players like Almiron and uh Oscar Benitez but it, it was a good attempt and I think uh yeah as I've said the, the best team best team of one indeed and Simon what did what did you make of this final in general and I suspect that you agree that Gremio worthy winner yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in the final, um, the, the difference of the teams was, I mean, Gremio were just far more efficient at taking, you know, exploiting the opportunities they had. Um, Lanus passed the ball fairly well, but as soon as they got into dangerous areas, especially in the first half, the the first touch was slightly off. You can tell there was a bit of nerves around the game. And, you know, for Lanus, I really thought they had to have a bit of momentum behind them to win this game. Um, Gremio found it far easier to create chances despite having less possession. Uh, and for Lanús, again, once they got that goal, they put a little bit of pressure on you know, with the crowd behind them. I just really felt they had to have that positive feeling uh, and having conceded a sloppy goal fairly early, I think that took the wind out of their sails and didn't really get going. A few individual areas, errors, uh, a few dodgy touches. Um, they just lacked a bit of sharpness and a bit of cleanness in their, in their play and attacking third and Again, we've seen them in this tournament. A lot of their good performances have come when they've got some momentum behind them and they've been throwing everything at it and taking some risks. And I think the the kind of balanced, careful build-up play uh, was fine, but they lacked a bit of a bit of that cutting edge and a bit of that intensity uh, in the final third, especially in the first half. So, absolutely, uh, Gremio, a very very good side. Luana, obviously, an excellent player. Artur doing some really nice things, some passing and moving. Looks very, very comfortable in the ball. We've been seeing his praises all year, but you know you can really see it um, in this game as well. In the first half, took a few kicks from Lanus, uh, you know, understandably so. So yeah, I would say nobody could really question the the Gremio as the winners. I think they were the better team over both legs in this this tie and, and overall in the tournament. Uh, unfortunate for Lanus, um, but as you can as we mentioned, um, the fans there was no sense of frustration with the team. I think they can kind of accept that. On the night, over the two legs, Glemio were slightly better. Um, Lanus have done very, very well to get to the final. They didn't show themselves up. It looked as though the game may get away with, from them um, in the first half, but they pulled one back and they stayed in a tie. And 
yeah, I think overall, I don't think anyone can be too upset or disappointed with the result. Um, the new crowd were great. Gremio's crowd, uh, visiting fans were great as well. Really nice to have a big corner of the stadium filled with Gremio fans. Um, La Luz were very disappointed, the fans, but you know they they I think they've got understanding and more upset than than uh, angry at the team. They seem to be appreciative of the efforts and getting to the final is a is a good good result for Lanús. Um, a decent team, good players. Love Sand, Acosta can be dangerous. Some good players across the team, but overall, I just think Gremio are one step above them uh, in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. It was certainly it was certainly great to see. But big away support, you like, like you said, and um, I fear that if, uh, well, it looks like it's certainly going to be the case either next year or the year after. Can't quite remember now when they decided that they're going to switch to this uh, neutral venue for a final. I do fear that the atmosphere may disappear for for some of the finals because we had a great atmosphere in both legs of this tie no yeah absolutely i mean again it depends how common will go about it if they decide next week where the final is going to be it could be a a real disaster uh, depending which teams get to the final if they were to choose a neutral venue which was perfectly perfectly selected for the teams in the final just before the final which is never going to happen i could see maybe you can still get a decent support but again, it all depends. If it's a giant club in the final, maybe some fans are going to travel. But one of the great things about the Libertadores is we never know who's going to be in the final. You know, we all had predictions, even at the, the quarterfinal stage. And I don't know how many people got, got it bang on. I know I was way off uh, back in Palmeiras. What was I thinking, Austin? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, don't know. I was backing him too, though. Backing him too. Next year. Next year. Next year. Lucas Lima's coming in. Can't stop us now. But yeah, in terms of the, the the neutral venue and having it in set in one place, it's it's definitely problematic. Um, we love having the the massive support in the stadium. Tonight was great. Um, we can still get so decent away support if it's a big team. But if you you know we had four thousand Gremio fans in the corner making a, a load of noise. But if that stadium was only away fans, you know maybe we have seven thousand or eight thousand, and, and it wouldn't quite be the same. So. It's it's a tricky one. It's not ideal. It's not really what I'd like to see. Um, but hopefully, maybe there'll be some surprising amount of uh, consideration put into the decision. But <laughs> Connable, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sure. Surprising amounts of consideration in Connable don't necessarily <laughs> always go together. Do that? <laughs> no, no. Um, so I'm not I'm not com- confident. And you know, VARs. Oh God, let's not get into that now. But yeah, overall. Good final, good winners, uh, and let's see what happens moving forward. Okay, so a, a quick quiz question for you guys. Fastest sort of a buzzer, really. Um, the imaginary buzzer that is just just try and make a noise or something. Um, so Gremio lost just one match in the Copa Libertadores this year. Who was ding, it? Ding, 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 ding. Akike. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I did the ding. Oh, God, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just Tom did it. the ding. Uh, Austin yeah. jumped in. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was too. It, it was to a Chilean side. Um, amazing. Chilean side champion, right? I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Is that how, that's how it works, I'm, right? I'm, start, I'm starting <laughs> to get nervous now about uh, Simon's taxi driver being being right. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Brazilian Brazilian tactics from Austin jumping in. Akike Colo Colo final then next year then. Yeah, well, <laughs> guaranteed. No, no, no chance Akike in it, but yeah, Colo Colo probably will be. To be played in Sao Paulo, right, Tom? Exactly. Yeah, just somewhere nice and nice and equidistant between the two Chilean sides. <laughs> but there might be a Primera <laughs> B side in in the Copa Libertadores from Chile next year. So as it stands at the so moment, what you're telling me is, is Chilean sides in continental competition. It, it's only going to get better, right? <laughs> it's, it's it's not looking too promising at this stage. I'll just say that. Although what what I will say, and I don't want to go off you know, the subject of the Libertadores too much. But the weekend we just had here in Chile, there was um, a couple of matches on Sunday I watched, which were two of the most enjoyable football matches I've seen in a long time. And they were both from the top division here in Chile. So that's one positive, because I haven't enjoyed many matches in the last couple of years, to be honest. Anyway, let's move on to talk about the, the standout players of this tournament. For us, we start from the back, so we start from goalkeepers, and I've got a feeling that we're going to be unanimous in our selection of the goalkeeper 
of the tournament. Yeah, for me, it's honorable mention to Vanderlei Santos. I thought he he played very well and and was also an expert time waster, which important for a goalkeeper in this competition. This is for the best goalkeeper, <laughs> not the best goalkeeper at wasting time by claiming they've got crap. Although the two, the other one you're going to suggest, who I can't deny is the best goalkeeper in this competition, um, and yeah, he's just one. He was also a massive cheat when it came to claiming <laughs> that he's got cramp in the 80, 80th minute of a match. Although at least he left it that long because the Santos keeper, he was claiming it after about 20 minutes in some games, I remember. <laughs> it's Marcelo Groi of Grebio. Not, you know, I think he was good throughout this competition, Adam, but I think... You'll be in agreement with me here. The save that he had against Barcelona in the semifinal, and then the save that he had against Lanús in the first leg of the final, and then to kind of keep Gremio in the momentum in this leg, the save on the free kick. It wasn't an otherworldly save. It was a very good save. I think all of that put together with just his, his general lack of errors throughout this competition think he's probably the runaway favorite for goalkeeper of the tournament yeah i definitely agree with that as well i think maybe uh weatherton could be a, an outside shout as a as a place on the bench because he did he did quite well for uh paranaense but yeah those those saves right at the business end of the tournament from gray um definitely mean he's my my shout for goalkeeper as well yeah for me no real complaints uh yeah i think it's a good shout uh, I mean, I did like Banguera. Had some good, good time wasting tactics. I mean, if we're going to add up total time wasting for Banguera for for Barcelona, I think you might be in for a shout. I think we need to have a review of how many minutes in total they wasted for during the tournament to to make a full decision. Because man, that is taken so seriously in Copa Libertadores. And I've seen some new tactics as well. One of the ones that's been emerging is when nobody's looking, the goalkeeper kicks the ball towards the corner flag. Keeping it in the pitch, it's like golf. You have to make sure it gets just inside or like curling. So it has to stop before it goes over the line. And then they'll slowly walk over to pick it up and bring it back. That's a good one. That's a, that's a tactic I like. And I've seen Banguera use that one. So uh, an honourable mention for the innovative time-wasting of Banguera. But yeah, I think uh, that the winner of the competition did well. Some decent time-wasting tactics of his own. So I think uh, it's a good shout for the Gremio keeper. Okay. Um, yeah, I certainly agree with, with you guys there. Um, let's move on to talk about defenders. So this can be central defenders or fullbacks, who you like, really, as long as they, they play in defence. Um, you know, for me, I think it has to be one of the standouts again was a Gremio player, no? And that he, he actually missed the second leg tonight with uh, with an unfortunate suspension, and that's uh, Walter Kanama. But who else stood out for you guys? Well, I'd also think that uh, Kanaman's central defensive partner Jerome Elwitt, who Austin mentioned earlier in the pod was uh, was fantastic and they and they formed such a great partnership um, I think the player as well in the center of the defense that I really liked was Dario Aymar from from Barcelona he didn't have a great time against Grimio in in that first leg but he was you know he was quick he was throwing himself about I think he did one sort of acrobatic clearance off the line once that, that stuck in the memory so I think it's it's hard to look past that Gremio duo, but just to, for the in the interest of mixing it up a bit, then I'd I'd definitely throw Imar in there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shout actually, um, Austin. I, I imagine that you agree with the Gremio centre back pairing. Yeah, it's it's really hard to pick one, and like you both said, they work so well together in pairing. Um, I was really impressed with how Gremio was able to kind of play without Kuhnemann tonight. Um, I. To his credit, I thought Bresson came in and, and played well. He's a player who's who's had his issues with Gremio so far this year. Uh, he's gotten to see a lot of playing time because all of the Gremio reserves have, considering they basically punted the Brasile down from, from June on. Um, but yeah, I, Jed O'Mel is, I think, one of the best defenders in South America right now. Um, Yeri Mina at Palmeiras is another player who's very good. Wasn't necessarily great in this Libertadores, but did have a couple of well-timed late goals in the group stage. You know, how long the competition dragged on, I think a lot of, of those heroics kind of maybe get lost in it. But yeah, Jed Omel as, as defender of the tournament, um, I don't think you're going to get much dissent there. But if there was a man to dissent, it, it would be Simon Edwards. I know a certain center back <laughs> for a certain Bolivian side caught your eye this competition, Simon. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I could have made a strong case, but the River Plate game um, did expose some of the great man, uh, the great Edward Zenteno's weaknesses. Uh, he's not the most mobile of defenders, to say the least. He looks somewhat like an old, chubby plumber, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But he was impressive considering, I mean, you know, obviously, I don't want to be too disrespectful. He's a Bolivian international. He's played a lot of games. And he was a real defensive leader for a Jorge Wilson team that really did overachieve. So, you know, I we kind of are a bit dismissive of Zendeno, but fair play to the guy. He he was a rock. Again, he was somewhat exposed against River in the second leg, led the side to a heroic victory in the first leg. Um, so, yeah, you know, Zendeno, I think, deserves a shout. He's done really well. Captain of an overachieving side. What more can you say? But in terms of overall, yeah, you know, I, I, Jerry Mina, again, if he wasn't, if his team performed as I hoped they would in my predictions and expected maybe they could do, he scored some dramatic late goals and was was very, very impressive. But he was the one of the key guys in an underachieving side overall in the tournament. Even in the group stage, they they didn't play as well as they could. They didn't dominate games very often. And, and so they got some late goals as well. So. He did score some of the late goals, which is another plus. But I think, you know, that kind of discredits him in terms of being one of the overall best defenders in the tournament. And yeah, Jeremel was a decent shout. And I think he's uh, done very well. Then, um, his defensive partner at Gremio as well was very good. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good shout for, for a defender of the tournament. What about fullbacks, though, guys? Uh, we've kind of only mentioned centre-backs so far. So, I mean, I, there's not a lot of fullbacks. I mean, Pedro Velasco of Barcelona would be good at right-back, but... Apart from that, I'm struggling a little bit to, to think of any decent, really standout fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's been something that I've been going on about quite a lot as well, that um, with many teams focusing on wit, <clears throat> just before we finish the Copa Libertadores series for this year, uh, perhaps I could mention some pacey direct Ecuadorian wingers <laughs> when we come to, to defending fullbacks. And I think often for teams, they've been exposed at fullback. Um, obviously, the role of a fullback in South America can be a tricky one and often they're judged more in their attacking play but it has been a frustration for me um the strongest a team i mean we'll probably mention moving forward as we look through the team of star players i think they got exposed over and over again at fullback and it was one of their big weaknesses so i do think there hasn't been particularly that many standouts and often it's been one of the weaker aspects of some of the key sides we've seen but what do you guys think any any names that stand out at fullback i, I think one of the best ones went out in the group stage and that's the peruvian Miguel Trapo, no? Yeah, Trapo at Flamengo I, was has been good for both his national team and, and his club team. Victor Luis at Botafogo, I think a team probably the second most uh, successful Brazilian side as far as expectations are concerned in this Libertadores. I thought Victor Luis played really well for Botafogo in this competition. They made it all the way to the quarterfinals, and he was a big part of that, especially in that round of 16 matchup against Nacional now. So he's a name that comes to mind. But yeah, when you look at, you know, even the the finalists in, in Gremio and Lanús, the fullback play didn't always leave you super uh, convinced. Uh, Egilson obviously had the free kick against Barcelona, but that wasn't as much as his ability as it was Bangueta's inability. Bruno Cortez for Gremio, you know, solid. Gomez was the one who had had the big mistake for for Linus tonight. So I think, yeah, Simon is is kind of correct in, in saying that that was a position, maybe more so than any other, that we were without a really top performer in this Libertadores. Yeah, I I, I have to agree with all you all of you there about fullbacks. Um, let's move on to uh, midfielders. So let's start in the middle. So with defensive midfielders, centre midfielders. And one player who really caught my eye in the group stages and also caught the eye of um, of an Argentinian club, Estudiantes as well, was Christian Alamán, the Barcelona uh, midfielder with an afro. He scored a wonderful goal in the group stages as well, I seem to recall. But he really helped them control matches in that difficult group that Barcelona were in. And he was a real loss to them in the, in the, in the knockout stages. Even though they did reach the, the semi-finals, I felt that they lost some of the control of matches that they had when Alaman played in midfield. And the other guy you've got to mention is a player that Tom and Austin did a recent spotlight pod on and that is Arturo Gremio. Well I definitely echo the sentiments about Arturo like I think when you saw him go off just after half time today you really noticed that Gremio lost that kind of tempo a bit more and 
and that control of the midfield. So, I mean, he's been a breakout star of Brazilian and, and South American football this year and everyone's comparing him to Iniesta and Xavi and both of them combined. So no doubt he'll be off to a big club in within the next 12 or maybe even six months. Um, and then an- another guy who I liked in the centre of the park, I've already mentioned once tonight, is uh, Marcone from, from Lanús. He's been, for me, one of the most underrated midfielders in Argentina for, for a few years now. Um, and he just, you know, yeah, does does the simple things a bit like Artur. And I thought he was absolutely vital for kind of relieving the pressure off Lanús and distributing the ball quickly. Um, and yeah, there'd be my sort of midfield, uh, centre of midfield pairing. So we've got Artur and Alaman, Austin, Simon. You got anybody to add to that? Um, well, for me, I obviously, <laughs> you, you'll, you'll guess which kind of players catch my eye. Uh, <laughs> number 10 was always, was always impressive. I think Pablo Escobar started really well in this tournament. Um, his form dropped off quite significantly, but he was very, very good early on. Um, Lucas Lima, obviously, I think is definitely worth a mention, um, was the leading assist provider in the tournament. Very, very classy player. Very intelligent. Santos really relied on him quite a lot. And it was a big miss from their from their final game. A very very good player. Uh, I mean, Juan Fernando Quintero was was making some a decent impression, but obviously his Medellin side didn't make it out of the group. Finished behind MLX, so that kind of takes a notch off for him. For me, um, obviously, as a player of real world quality, and for me, him and Lucas Lima, probably the two standout classic number tens. Camilo Botafogo, I think, also carried a lot of the creative burden for a team that was somewhat limited. Um, he was quite impressive for them, very important. Yeah, so I think those are some of the keys. In terms of creative midfielders, I think those were some of the key players uh, in this year's tournament. Any uh, any shout for Damian Diaz here, Adam? <laughs> Certainly not. I think he has to go down as one of the most disappointed um, players in this competition and perhaps one of the luckiest ever to reach the semi-finals of the uh, Stories, considering how badly he played most weeks in the Libertadores. Um, Chumacero, are we calling him a midfielder or a forward? Because he obviously had a very impactful start to this year's uh, tournament. Finished second highest goal scorer. Uh, we probably speak in a second about the highest goal scorer, but uh, yeah, very, very impressive. Again, more of a maybe more of a winger. Plays in a lot of different positions, but scored eight goals uh, for for the strongest for a Bolivian side that were very, very impressive um, early on in the competition. Uh, be disappointed not to have made more of an impact in the final stages, uh, given how well they did, considering you know some of the limitations. But they were very, very good away from home, which is not something we hear often about Bolivian sides. Um, and obviously, they got a lot of good results at home. So yeah, Chumacero. Uh, as a kind of playing all over the place, forward, midfield, winger, centre midfield, um, obviously had a big, big impact for a for a generally impressive, the strongest side. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Chumacero being in there. It was like the most attacking I've ever really seen him play, and that was a bit of a, a pleasant surprise. But I think you could definitely get him as that shuttling right-sided midfielder in a three potentially, and and yeah, he's just got so much energy and just bombs around that. Yeah, even though. He maybe tailed off a little bit. I think he uh, he deserves a spot in our in our starting eleven. Also, maybe on the sub subs bench was um, a player key to getting um, Guarani out of the group stages, and Guarani were in the same group as Gremio, and that was the Uruguayan number eight, um, Marcelo Palau, um, thirty two years old now, but I thought he was one of the standout performers in in the group stage for me. Yeah, that's a good shout as well, actually. I've, I've forgotten about him a bit. Let's let's move on to talk about, um, well, my my kind of favourite players, really, and and, that, and that's the wide attackers. There are so many to choose from here, I think. Shall, shall we go wide attackers and then sort of maybe centre-forwards, or you want to just talk about attackers in general, guys? I think we can separate the two out. I think there were enough good performers in each category to separate it out. That, that, that was my feeling too. So, so let's let's start with some impressive wide men. Simon hinted. Simon hinted at, at it earlier, um, but we're going to mention a few Ecuadorian flyers here. I think, but you guys know how much Ayrton Preciado made the big impression he made on me 
the, the Emelec winger. He's uh, he plays on the left, but cuts in onto onto his right foot, and had a habit of just doing that and drilling goals into the far bottom corner. You knew that what he was going to do, but defenses seemed to struggle to stop him from doing it. So um, kind of like the Ecuadorian Robin, if you will. Any other names which spring to mind, guys? I mean, Luan obviously uh, played in that role and can kind of fluctuate around the pitch with where he plays. But he was, I thought he was brilliant tonight. Um, There were points in this Libertadores when he kind of faded, especially in that quarterfinal tie against both Fogo when he was dealing with the knock. But in the semifinals and then particularly in, in both legs of the final, I thought he was really, really good. Um, and I think he's a player who, who we all know has a bright future, but just really um, secured that fact in, in all of our minds. I thought he was wonderful tonight. Uh, he was a couple of inches away from a brace. Both goals very similar, kind of chipping it over Andrade. The second one just rolled wide. But his second goal that kind of put everything away was just so brilliantly taken. And, you know, he's a player that we all knew was going to be good in this Libertadores. And he was a player who was good in this Libertadores. And that can sometimes be hard for these guys to kind of live up to, to that hype. And, and we've seen, you know, some of the big, talented teams who failed to do that. Um, but, man, Luan was, was certainly not among that group. Yeah, Luan's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet, really, hasn't he? Um, just such a big game player and and that first goal was just absolutely magical like I watched it back again and it, it he actually was well ahead of the defensive line he kind of waited for everyone to catch up before beating them again and I'm I'm a fan of a, a cheeky little dink as well so uh yeah um Luan for me was yeah d- definitely merits a place in the starting 11 maybe maybe a place on the bench for Lautaro Acosta thought he was quite important for the way that Lanús played gave them width and and did quite a lot of defensive duties when he needed to as well. Bit of a one-trick pony, but yeah, again, like Preciado, if it works, then you know no one's complaining. So I've already mentioned Preciado, but the other one who I really liked of Ecuadorian wingers in in this competition was Marcos Casero, who was a big loss for Barcelona in that first leg of the semi-final against Gremio. I believe he missed it. Um, Simon, do you have any anybody else to add to this list? No, yeah, I like Acosta. I think he's a bit one-dimensional, but it's quite a good dimension in that he beats his man most of the time or, or, or fairly frequently cuts inside. I was trying to squeeze a Colombia. You know, the Colombian teams really let me down this year. Um, and, you know, I, I had to get a, a player from one of our favourite teams, Santa Fe, including the squad, just to give us a bit of, a bit of class, a bit of quality in there. No, I'm joking. But a guy who did have a ridiculous couple of games in the group stage um, is Johan Aranjo, uh, the same guy who was you know, moved out of the team quite quickly when he was uh, caught at a party uh, during a game, uh, disappeared off to go and have a party in Cali. So he's a bit of a, a bit of a character, but he scored two or three exceptional long-distance goals. Uh, and for a Santa Fe team that was at times a bit limited and not particularly exciting, having someone who's a bit inconsistent but can produce some magic uh, in uh, Aranjo was, was important. And he can play behind a striker, play as a winger. So, again, whether he makes our team of the year, uh, team of the tournament, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a strong case forward. But I wanted to throw in a Colombian, and I think he was, alongside Quintero, um, probably the guy who made the biggest impact on the Colombian sides because... Nacional were terrible <laughs> this year, very disappointingly. But he had a couple of good moments and is a player with loads and loads of class, tall, athletic, uh, can score some dramatic, incredible goals. Just is uh, lacking a little bit in terms of mentality <laughs> and focus uh, and consistency. But he had a few good standout moments, so worth a shout, I think, for him. OK, um, let's move more centrally. Um, the top goal scorer of this competition we've already mentioned, and that's Pepe Sand, obviously. Any other names which spring to mind, guys? I think we have to discuss how much uh, are we going to give Nacho Skoko credit for his goal-scoring tally and how much are we going to pin on the fact that he put uh, a lot of those past Jorge Wilsterman, uh, five of them, to be honest. So he scored eight in the tournament, but five of them came in one against Wilsterman. Does he get credit for those, like half credit? Nah, but they, they, should, mean, they should they should they should count for double because he scored against the defender of the tournament. So that's, that's <laughs> now for me, um, it was a little bit too little, too late. I mean, well, not too little because he scored eight goals in in total. But 
Skoko, yeah, most of them was, you know, a bit flat track bully. So I think if anything, Alario and Driussi were much better across a longer period of the tournament. It's just a shame we didn't get to see them in the latter stages because I think that really hampered River and, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why we're not saying more of their players getting in that in that final 11. I think they were the two standouts and, and they suffered after they left. A um, couple of other players that I liked, um, Zampedri for Atletico Tucumán. Um, you know, they were great at the start of the tournament and, you know, with that crazy rush through uh, Ecuador to get to their game and, you know, not having their kits. So, and he, he was impressive throughout the group stage as well. So he was good. And I, I really liked, I don't think he should necessarily get into the team, but I really liked Alves for Barcelona. He was kind of like a, a love child of Diego Costa and Pepe. I was just about to <laughs> yeah. mention him. I think if this team was losing with half an hour to go, he would be a pretty decent sub to bring on and kind of G up the, the team a little bit and fight for every ball. He also might get sent Exactly. Off. <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say that, Austin, he would either score you a goal or cause a riot. One of the, one of the two. Yeah, definitely the most Libertadores player in, in this team. Simon? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, yeah. I mean, big fan of Sand up front. Did a lot of the dirty work as well at times, uh, but finished top goal scorer. You know, what more could you ask for from a from a striker, uh, especially one with you know some some years behind him? Lucas Barrios again for me had his incredible games and also had a few where he missed a few chances. I, you know, maybe holding one or two group games against him that I saw. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what Austin thinks of Lucas Barrios. Um, but for me, you know, he had some big impactful games. Was one of the one of the highest goal scorers. Nicolas Blandi popped up a few goals. Uh, fair play to him. Um, but yeah, those those players come to mind for me. Sand, lovely story as well. Uh, a guy making all the way to the final, popping up with a few goals. And as I said, his all round game was was very very impressive. Even if he'd scored half the goals, I think he would have still had a good tournament, uh, given his overall contribution to the side. Oh yeah, Blandi, of course. That's a that's a great shout, Simon. As far as Barrios is concerned, I think he was so key for this Gremio side. Not because he was, you know, your traditional number nine who's going to go out and just score a lot of goals, but because he meshed so well with, with the midfield and the attack for Gremio that he did a lot as far as assisting goals and just being in the right position and drawing the attention of the defense that doesn't necessarily show up in just the pure goal scoring number wise. But yeah, I think, I think Barrios is definitely deserves credit for, for what he was able to do for this Gremio side in the competition. Okay. Anybody got anything to add here? Shall we wrap up? Uh, just before we do wrap up, Adam, I do want to, uh, just a quick nod of appreciation to Nacional of Uruguay, who I think we can all agree get the award for best exit in this Libertadores. Uh, down 3-0 on aggregate to Botafogo. Nacional managed to get three players sent off in 90 seconds. Uh, just, you know, pure Uruguayan style. Pure, all right, we're done. We can't get back in this, so let's just make sure we all get sent off. So uh, a round of applause to them for the, the most Libertadores exit of, of, of this year's tournament. Yeah, it's, it's always fun to think about some of the interesting moments. Uh, Jerry Mina stealing a camera uh, tripod was another interesting one. Uh, and then <laughs> that game having the, the two times two teams square off at either end of the change, uh, the, the path on the way to the pitch outside the changing rooms and kind of square up to each other. And, and then some of the Palmeiras uh, staff going, come on in, come on in. And then they came towards him and they ran off going, oh, shit, he's coming. Um, and Jelly Mina standing up to, to, the, to the opposition fans and uh, opposition players and then just busting out some dance moves because he's Jelly Mina and that's how he re- responds to adversity. So that was an interesting moment. Obviously, we mentioned the kits and the, the teams arriving late to the stadium, um, speeding to get there in time. For deadlines that then move back. So those are some interesting moments. Any, anything else comes to mind, people? Some interesting standout moments from this year's tournament? I think we have to just emphasize that it's a farce that Peñarol are going to be in this tournament again next year. Uh, Adam, you and I remember talking about this when that incident happened. That they got away with a one-match stadium ban was the only punishment for that incident. It's just absolutely absurd. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I, I have no idea how they, have, they didn't receive at least a one-year ban from, from this competition. Basically, there's nothing to lose by going absolutely over-the-top crazy. You can say what you like, 
at no matter how racist it is or how offensive it might be. And Common Ball are only going to give you a, a, a one-match ban, maybe, from, from your stadium. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. One other thing that um, I remember from the group stages was um, that kind of final day drama in group four when San Lorenzo, when they seemed down and out, managed to sneak through the expense of Flamengo. That was pretty classic Libertadores and also the Chapacuense fielding an eligible player, which kind of allowed Lanús to to get some pretty vital points. So, you know, it could have could have all been different if uh, if that hadn't happened. And I, think I just saw a, um, a stat on Twitter saying that from the last 10 finals, there have been 20 different clubs. So if that's not like a, an, a great advertisement for the for the tournament, then I, I don't know what is. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And also, also a great shout on the on the Chapecoense mention. As as I was going to finish this pod by just mentioning, you know, obviously this week it's one year on from the Chapecoense disaster, um, a tragedy which unfortunately we've discovered since could very much have been avoided if if the right steps are taken, which kind of makes it even worse if that's possible. But I think what that club has been through and the fact that they've survived in um, in the in the top division in Brazil this year is is pretty amazing. It looks I, I don't think they're going to be in the Libertadores again next year. No, they could. Um, so right now there's going to be eight Brazilian teams in Libertadores next year with Grêmio's win. If Flamengo go on and win the Sul-Americana, there could be nine. Um, give me one second to pull up the table to make sure I have this right. But they are certainly not out of it yet. I, I was lo- I was looking at it the other day, and it looked like eighth was a little bit beyond them. I didn't realize that if they, you know, if they finish ninth, they could still make it. Yeah, so they're in ninth right now. So you know they could be back in this competition again next year. Yeah, they're one point off of eighth, so and only two points off of sixth. So they could absolutely be in this competition again next year. Yeah, it's incredible to to. You know, think back to their group stage performances because they were one point away from qualification uh, to the knockout stage. And, and if you think that, you know, that when they fielded their first team for the for the initial games of the tournament, you know, we this is a completely new team. This is a completely new squad, a new coach. You know, it, it was amazing that they they clicked and they were so organised and they were so competitive on the field. And, and as we mentioned, you know. Uh, and administrative decisions put them out of the tournament. So yeah, very, very, very impressive in so many, so many ways for for the club, for everyone involved in the club. Brazilian survival, possible qualification, and, and you know they were very, very close to making it out of a, a tricky group. So very, very impressive all round from Chapecoense. And you know it's nice that as a club, obviously you know they're never going to get past what happened completely. But it's nice that they've um, stabilised and the club's going to continue and you know they look like they're a solid solid team in the Brazilian league and, and perhaps we'll see them again next year. Indeed, uh, there's, there's some interesting articles out there about the Chapecoense disaster and, and how the club has moved on in, in, in the last year. Not all of it positive, some of it very critical. What you need to remember is that you know, a, a lot of the people who made the, the Chapecoense story possible also passed away in in that tragic accident. So this Chapecoense, this ver, this version of Chapecoense is 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 quite different in a lot of ways. And um, and I know there's a lot of sympathy for the manager who Austin, you help me out here with the name of the manager who kind of rebuilt them, and then and then he he got the sack, didn't he? Which which seemed very harsh to me. Yeah, Wagner Mancini, who kind of almost was was too good for his job, if you will. Uh, it created expectations so high for Chapecoense that then when they kind of hit a rough patch around the end of the Libertadores and, and found themselves in the relegation zone, did get the sack, um, but has done a wonderful job at Vitoria to almost keep them up as well. But Gilson Kleiner, to his credit, has come in and and done really well and it is it's incredible what the club has been able to do it's incredible the spirit uh, the players that they have now the spirit that they play with it's yeah it's nothing short of really really impressive what they did both continentally and domestically this year and, and to top all that off the, the travel schedule that this team had was just absurd too at one point in the year you know around august they spent two weeks in europe and asia and still came back and avoided relegation which is 
absolutely impressive and and you know tip of the cap and and round of applause for what they did this year indeed and there was a great video showing some emotional scenes when they did secure their their top flight status of them chanting the Chapecoense song which which did the rounds last year after the after the tragedy okay guys um we've got the world club cup coming up in december austin you're quite confident that gremio could win it no well, I mean, I, some of that is said in jest. Obviously, it's always an uphill task for whatever Conable side goes. But I do think Gremio will benefit from the extended Libertadores and the fact that, you know, their next match that their first team will play will be at the Club World Cup against either Pachuca or Wyatt Casablanca, the Moroccan team. Uh, no chance the Gremio starters play at the weekend against Atletico Mineiro. They've barely played in the Brasileirão all year. They're not going to start now. Uh, but I do think Gremio will go into the Club World Cup in a bit of form. As we've seen, as we saw last year with Atletico Nacional, um, that first match can be so difficult for the South American side because there's so much pressure on them to make it to that final, to get the shot at the European side in a competitive match, that sometimes the pressure can just be too much. But I do like Gremio's chances there. Um, can't say that I've seen much Moroccan soccer this year. Uh, so can't tell you too much about Wydad Casablanca, but I have seen Pachuca. They struggled uh, in the second season in Mexico of the year, uh, the Apertura. They did not make the Liga MX playoffs. Uh, a couple names that the listeners would recognize for sure, Kasuke Honda um, is in there. But look, it's not a great Pachuca side. I think Gremio would, Mexican, would find themselves... Mexican sides always yes. struggle in that competition yeah. as well. Always yeah, America under- have had issues... Yeah, I've had issues in the past. So I think Gremio will definitely like themselves to get a shot at Real Madrid. And look, it's always going to be difficult for a South American side to knock off a European side. But I think this Gremio side are about as good as you could hope for. You know, you've got a goalkeeper that's in terrific form in Marcelo Groi. Two center backs who are top level on the continent in Jeromel and Kahneman. Attacking players who, who could have a go on the counterattack for Gremio. Artur, his health will be key, obviously. He's got about, you know, two weeks to get healthy before that, that semifinal match. I think if he's healthy and, and kind of bossing that midfield, along with Luan and, and, and Hamido and Everton and, and Barrios and Ferenginho in the attack, you know, I don't think Gremio will embarrass themselves. I, I think it's, it's fair to say at the Club World Cup. Will they win it? Probably not. But I don't think they're, without any chance in, in a potential final against Real Madrid. And that would be a tremendous occasion for the club and certainly something that I think they should really be looking forward to. And before I wrap up, uh, Tom and Simon, do you have an opinion on Gremio's chances? Well, seeing as uh, Austin's changed his tune from uh, before the pod, um, I, you know, I, th- I think Gremio will, will do all right, actually. I think not only are they a, a really good side, they're also one that stylistically would be able to compete better against Europeans. Um, so I think that, yeah, again, if they get through that uh, that first match, then then they've got a good good shot of actually being in a contest with uh, with Real Madrid. You know, I don't think they're going to be one of these sides that just gets blown away. I think they, they will actually, you know, go toe-to-toe with them and, and could do all right. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think um, the, the style of play that they have, uh, I think is is fairly well suited to be able to do damage. They're not a team that complete, you know, just lumps it forward, but they are quite direct in the way they move the ball quickly through midfield. So that can be well suited to, you know, we would expect them to have less possession than uh, than in the opposition. So, you know, I think that they can um, they can move the ball forward quickly. They're fairly organised. They're fairly solid. So, you know, I think it's it's that kind of approach uh, which is best suited to getting results against what will be, you know, we would all assume a a superior opposition on the day, Uh, you know, with the likes of Luan, with the likes of Barrios, you know, they've got players who can move it quickly and perhaps do some damage. Obviously, they're going to have to be on their game. Obviously, they're going to have to be strong defensively and organised. But I do think if they can achieve that, if if they can stay in the tie, I do think they have the players who could potentially hit uh, an opposition, you know, on the break and maybe do some damage. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I, you know, I, I give them, I give them a chance. Um, and it will be interesting to see how the likes of Luan do on on a high profile game with 
potentially some new people uh, watching on. So we'll see how that goes. And one final note on that. You know, last year in the Club World Cup final, Real Madrid had to go to extra time to beat Kashima Antlers, the Japanese side that, that knocked out Atletico Nacional. So we've said it on this podcast plenty of times. The Club World Cup means infinitely more to South American sides than it would ever mean to a European side. And maybe that'll catch Real Madrid off guard if they just kind of go through the motions and, and play at 75%. You know, it's the match of the year for, for Gremio and, and for everybody on the South American continent. It does not get any bigger than this. Match of a lifetime, Austin, I think. The last time the last time Gremio won it was, what, 1983? They beat Hamburg 2-1 in the final. They lost to Ajax about 10 years later, I think it was. So... Yeah, not not just uh, not just a match of a year, but a, a match of a lifetime, like I say. Yeah, and so you know, who knows if Real Madrid don't bring their best, then I think Gremio could hit them out. But you know, if Real Madrid show up and are focused and and seem like they want to lift this title for a second consecutive year, which you know might not mean that much to them, then they're probably going to be fairly successful in that match. But yeah, like like the guys said, Gremio's got a shot. And I think they are probably the best positioned South American team, other than maybe a team that is incredibly strong defensively and would just try to shut down for 120 minutes and get it to penalties. I think Gremio might be the best equipped outside of maybe Boca at, at taking a shot at this stage right now at this Real Madrid side. Okay, interesting stuff. Let's wrap up this podcast by going around um, the virtual table. First of all, I'll come to Tom as he needs to get to bed the quickest, <laughs> with it being, what, half three in the morning there in the, in the UK. Um, do oh, you yeah. have anything to plug, Tom? Um, well, just generally the scouting spotlight pods that me and Austin put out. Um, so, yeah, just, just keep an eye out for that on the W5 feed and, and both of our Twitter feeds. And also want to say a, a quick belated uh, happy birthday to, to Mr. Simon Edwards from, from me and or his Indian LinkedIn friends. Yeah, thanks very much. I have a surprising number of uh, LinkedIn followers. Also, I'm, I'm in Santiago in the hotel. I got four personal handwritten letters of congratulations from various staff members. So in the two days I've been in the hotel, I've obviously made a huge impact. Um, and, I, and I'm much beloved here in the Santiago Hotel. I gave my free plug on the World Football Index. I'm sure they're going to have you inundated with with visitors well I, th- I think you've managed to get more birthday cards from chileans in two days than i have done in seven years so that's quite an achievement happy birthday anyway do you have anything to plug simon apart from your birthday cards no i mean i could plug plug my birthday <laughs> um uh, but no no not really i mean looking forward to discussing the world cup draw at the end of this week i think we're going to do a pod on that uh, as long as i'm not stuck at an airport somewhere um and i can get wi-fi looking forward to discuss colombia's hopes in the world cup uh, adam you looking forward to looking forward to the world cup draw yes definitely um even though chile aren't in it um i, I still always get excited for the world cup and yeah I'm looking forward to to seeing how the draw pans out and kind of imagine some of the scenarios in my head next June and July. Austin, do you have anything to plug? Um, Nothing in particular at Austin underscore James 906 on Twitter. Um, I know that Tom and I are planning on recording some spotlight pods soon-ish. Those are fairly timeless. So as this transfer window kind of heats back up, um, you know, we'll keep our eyes out on the rumors. And if we see a South American player link that we have a pot on, uh, we'll be sure to plug that. Um, Ezequiel Barco at Independiente, uh, they're headed to the Copa Sulamericana final. Uh, or they will face either Flamengo or Junior. That match set to take place on Thursday. But he is rumored to potentially be going to Atlanta United in uh, the MLS here in the United States. So that's certainly a name that um, I know a lot of our American listeners could be interested in. So check that one out. We've got pods on both Artur and Luan for Gremio. Those are players that, as as Tom said, within the next 6 to 12, maybe 18 months, we definitely expect to go and make that move to Europe. Obviously, the World Cup kind of complicates that a little bit as those guys are trying to get in the last couple of spots in the Brazil squad. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty of spotlight pods. So, you know, if ever you want to know a bit more about a player, uh, there's probably a good chance that Tom and I have either done a spotlight pod or he's on our short list for a, a future spotlight pod. So be sure to check those out. I know those are one of the things that I'm certainly most proud of that we've been able to do here, here on the World Football Index. Yeah, uh, it's certainly great stuff and certainly worth checking out if, if you haven't done already um so 
thank you for listening to this pod and also to the Copa Libertadores series um, in general. Um, if you have enjoyed it, then please like and subscribe to the World Football Index. Rate us on iTunes. And that's all from me, from me and the guys this time. Thank you to them and thank you once again for listening and goodbye.